Good morning. Would you please uh, go with me in prayer? Dear Lord, we just uh, thank you for just your son, Jesus. And, you know, we would just pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, just like the song says today. Um, dear Lord, any shadow that's over our lives, like the song talked about depression, any struggle, dear Lord, we know that you break those strongholds in your name, your holy and powerful name. And we just pray that your presence is here, than it is felt, and that there will be responses as we walk out these doors and engagements with our family and others, and just response to you. We just pray this in your powerful and holy name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Rocky. If we haven't met, I'm the Connections Minister here, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. If you're, if you're new, we have uh, connection cards in the bulletin, and we'd love to give you a gift bag, which is outside. You can actually drop these connection cards in any of the three boxes by the exits that say tithes and offering, and uh, we'd just like to get to know you, definitely. Uh, two main announcements for this week is, uh, first is we're going to have next week church at the park. So that is not here. All right. So just a reminder that we are not having any services here next week. So if you show up, it will be an empty building. Uh, but we are going to be at North Park, which is at uh, 195 Tamarack here in Springboro. So as a reminder, I just kind of want to push that, that we're not having church here. It's going to be Sunday at the park. And we're going to have some food trucks there. We're going to have some blow-ups um, for the kids, inflatables. So it's just a time just to hang out at the park and um, just enjoy the outside and be praying with us that it doesn't rain next week, please. And uh, because we want to just have a time of just being outside and celebrating God's creation and just a kind of like a family time at the park. So invite friends, invite family. This would be a great opportunity just for them to even, you know, not necessarily be in a church building, just to be outside. So that may be easier for some if you want to invite them next week to Church of the Park, North Park. So the next announcement is, uh, speaking of family, we're going to have sports camp. So it's the 11th through the 15th, and you can register online for this. And it's going to be in the evenings from 545 and on. Um, and like I said, you just go to our website and register for this. There are limited spots, but there are going to be different sports, which are basketball, cheerleading, and soccer. So definitely get on that and uh, check out the registration. And to get a good depiction of what this is about, I will turn your attention to the video of what it was like last year. Thank you. We need to work on whoever is doing those videos. <laughs> they need to do a better job of editing. That's all there is to it. But we had a lot of fun last year, and uh, we want to make sure that we're inviting uh, our neighbors and friends and family members uh, to come. We've even got family from out of, out of state coming uh, for sports camp this year. And so be thinking of who you can invite that we can influence during sports camp. Today we're wrapping up a three-week message series entitled Micah 6-8, examining one of the weightier verses in all the Bible. One author described the verse that we're about to read in just a moment as a one-line summary of the whole law of God. And here it is, Micah 6-8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Throughout this series of messages, 
we have sought to explain what it means, and let's see if you've internalized this, okay, during this three-week series. See if you can fill in the blank, what it means to act, what is it? Justly, thank you. To love and to walk. You guys are good. Oh, it's still up there, okay. So you had a little help, but hopefully not only can you memorize that verse, it's a short verse, it's a verse I pray every day, and I hope that you'll not only memorize this verse, but internalize it. Yet let's first go back and remember the context of this powerful verse and the book of the Bible that is found. Micah the prophet was a contemporary of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea, three other prophets. And this bold prophet, Micah, lived 700 years before Christ. Toward the end of this short book bearing his name, Micah poses the question, what does God want from us? Or, what does the Lord require of you? Micah does this in a dramatic style. By painting the scene of God's judgment, something like a Supreme Court case in which the Lord presents His case against Israel, which is, by, which is, by the way, what many Bibles have as the subtitle over chapter 6, namely, the Lord's case against Israel. Now, with this being the portrait that Micah paints, it seems to me that it's appropriate for us to pause and just make a few comments on a recent Supreme Court decision, namely the overturning of Roe versus Wade, a decision that was made back in 1973. Although I'm aware that this has been a controversial issue in our country, and there might even be uh, those in the room that maybe would have differing views than me on this subject. I'm personally thankful that an almost 50-year-old law in our nation, which I have viewed as unjust, was overturned. I share this point of view because I believe from my study of Scripture that human life begins at conception. As we read Bible verses such as Psalm 139, in verse 14, when the psalmist writes, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So with that said, Let's humbly pray that the Lord will continue to lead our government leaders and all followers of Jesus to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly.
Let's pray specifically that we as individuals can be humble and patient with those who might disagree with us on our personal position. And as a church, let's be quick to listen to those who are hurting, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show service to those who have suffered loss in the past and or who will experience pain in the future as a result of this issue. Let's pray that God will lead us as a nation, as a people, as a church, individually, to truly live out what it means to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we humbly acknowledge our need for you in our lives. We acknowledge our need for you in our church and our nation. We will pray that you will lead us as a church. We pray that you'll lead our country, that you'll lead our state and every individual state. That you will lead all elected and appointed government officials, including Supreme Court justices and federal judges and each state government going forward to determine what it means to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly. We pray that in our world, that in a world that we feel confusion, pain, regret, or sadness, that you will bring direction, that you will bring healing, and you'll bring comfort. We also pray that you will teach us how we can honor you as being supreme in our lives and supreme in our church, and that we will truly please you by learning how to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Lord, we ask that your Spirit will be at work in our time together in your Word today so that we can learn what it means to really not just read this verse, Father, but we want to internalize it. We want to live it out in our lives and in our church. We ask, Father, that you lead this time, that your spirit will be at work powerfully to draw our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us to walk humbly, to walk humbly with our God? The phrase to walk is a Hebrew idiom describing a lifestyle or a way of life. Also interesting about this text, the, the, the phrase, the, the Hebrew word humbly in the original language that Micah was recorded is a word that's only found one other place in all of Scripture. And even the other place that it's found, it's a, it's a slight variation of the Hebrew word we find here in Micah 6 verse 8. But let's look at the one other place that it's found. It's found in the Proverbs when we read in Proverbs eleven two, when pride comes, 
Then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So we see one way to understand this this call to humility is to understand that unhealthy human pride is described by God as the opposite of humility, the humility that He's calling us to. Now, this understanding is consistent with the charge that Micah gave to his original audience earlier in the book. In Micah chapter 2, verse 3, therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. So it appears to me as I study Scripture that there is wisdom to, to, in learning to avoid the way of or the walk of pride, and that we have a choice in life of which path we're going to take. Are we going to take the path of pride, or are we going to take the path of humility? Are we going to walk proudly, or are we going to, are we going to walk humbly, to help us understand the difference, to help us understand that contrast, let's look first at an example of someone in the Bible who truly walked in a proud, arrogant way, because this is the opposite of our charge today, our command today to walk humbly. In the prophet Daniel's uh, book, we read about a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar who serves as a clear example of what it means to walk in the way of pride. By the way, Babylonia was the emerging superpower of Micah's time. And we know of the grandeur of this empire. It was in modern-day Iran. It was, it was this uh, Iraq, and it, was this, it encompassed uh, that whole Middle East region. And we know of uh, one of the seven wonders of the world was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Maybe you've heard of it. This is an artist's rendering of what that might have looked like. It was breathtaking, so much so that it's listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And possibly King Nebuchadnezzar was looking at the Hanging Gardens just taking in their majesty when this is recorded about him in Daniel 4, verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and he looked out across the city. He said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Now, this is one of those moments when Nebuchadnezzar uttered this extremely arrogant phrase, it is by my own power that I built this beautiful city that if you were around him at that moment, you might have wanted to look for shelter before the lightning struck. And you get that sense as we read in the very next verse, verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, 
O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. Now, do you want something that's, you know, practical and to the point? Here it is. King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and was drenched with the dew of heavens. He lived this way until his hair was long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now, that would have been a sight to see. Now, this scene and description of Nebuchadnezzar losing sanity and this grotesque appearance and human existence as an animal that he lived seems to me kind of similar to a sad tale of a famous billionaire, Howard Hughes, many years ago, who lived with great pride, and yet at the end of his life there was reports of extreme behavior and a very sad physical condition that he would not even cut his fingernails or toenails and couldn't even walk because of it. I couldn't help but think of that parallel. Yet in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, he repented. He turned from his pride. And we read his own testimony in verse 34 of that same chapter. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. After exhibiting great pride and arrogance, Nebuchadnezzar repents. He has a change of heart. He has a change of mind from his previous way of life. And we read in verse 36, at that same time that my sanity was restored, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking, my honor and splendor was returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, what a, what a descriptive tale of someone who walked in pride. What a powerful description of someone who was arrogant and is the opposite of our theme today to walk humbly. Now, most of us are not going to have the extreme arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar, who says, by my own power, I've done all this. And yet, we can still be walking in the way of pride in a more subtle way. For example, let me give an example from the world of sports that maybe helps illustrate how we can subtly walk in the way of pride. 
Chan Gailey, I don't know if any of you know that name, but Chan Gailey coached for many years, both in the NFL and in college. And he tells us of a story when he was coaching Troy State, who went on, by the way, to win that year Division II National Championship in football. And right before the title game, he was walking from his office to the practice field, and his secretary called out to him, Coach Gailey, you have a telephone call. He responded to his secretary, I don't have time to take a call right now because I've got to get out to the practice field to get my team ready to coach, to play for the championship in Division Two." And about that time, she said, but Coach Gailey, it's Sports Illustrated. When he heard that it was Sports Illustrated, he thought to himself, well, you know, I know it's Division Two, but to be in a championship game at any level is quite an accomplishment. And I'm sure they want to come and take photos of our team preparing for this championship game. And by the way, the turnaround that I've been able to bring about as a coach for this, for this uh, team and for this program is really quite astounding. In fact, I'm wondering if it's going to be a cover page of Sports Illustrated. I wonder if it's going to be a three, four-page spread. And so he thinks, I need to take this call. So he goes back to his office, and he says, hello? And they said, is this Mr. Gailey? He says, yes, this is Coach Gailey. He said, we just want you to know that your subscription is about up. <laughs> and we wanted to know if you wanted to renew your subscription. Have you ever been a little bit too full of yourself? and then been humbled. It was at that moment that Chan Gailey shares that he realized he'd been taking himself way too seriously. How about you? Are you walking in the way of pride, maybe in subtle ways? Are you truly walking in the way of humility? What are some subtle signs of walking in the way of pride. I researched this and looked at a number of lists, and I've come up with a list of 10 subtle signs of pride. See if you can relate to any of these. Number one, assuming you already know something when someone is teaching or explaining something. Do you ever find yourself getting irritated that somebody's telling you something you already know? And you find yourself just saying, come on, come on, come on. I know this. Maybe even interrupting them. Number two, seeing yourself as too good to perform certain tasks or menial responsibilities. Maybe at work. Maybe in the church. Maybe at home. Being too proud to ask for help, advice, or direction. Guys, think about that the next time you get turned around a little bit and lost driving. Number four, not being able to receive constructive criticism. You know, as I get older, 
I learned the importance of continuing to learn to constructive criticism from those that are younger than me, from those in our staff that that are newer to ministry, because if I can continue to learn from them, maybe I can continue to be relevant and timely. Number five, talking more often than you listen. A close cousin to this is always having to get the last word. Is that you? Number six, talking about yourself a lot. I would give an illustration for my life, but I don't want to be guilty of this point. Number seven, overly obsessed with your image or physical appearance. Number eight, unhealthy comparison with others or consistent criticism of others. Maybe trying to knock other people down so you can feel better about yourself. Number nine, justifying your sin instead of admitting it. I know for me it's important to have that accountability partner in my life that I can be open with and confess regularly my sin, to not justify it, but to admit it, to acknowledge it, confess it, call it what it is. And number 10, name dropping. Are you always trying to drop the names of people you know of influence to be more impressive to others? Now, if you were to score yourself on those 10 lists that I mentioned of subtle pride, how many of those are true in your life? How would you do? Now, don't take pride if you scored high, okay? Now, I know that that list was challenging. It was challenging to me. Because I want to identify and die to the pride in my life so I can learn what it means to walk humbly before the Lord. How about you? Of course, since unhealthy human pride is the opposite of humility, we can also focus on what it, learn, what it means to learn to be humble, to walk humbly. This past week, I came across a recent article by Dave Clayton describing a great verse in the Bible inviting people to humble their hearts, which reads simply in 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The author, Dave Clayton, of this article asked two great questions. The first question, he says, have you been operating under the influence of pride? Perhaps you've allowed the disappointments of life to harden your heart, making you more defiant than desperate. You see, sometimes the tough challenges of life can harden our heart. And we can find ourselves starting to resist others and resist God, and, and we can become proud just out of defiance. The second question, he says, maybe your condition is more subtle than that. 
Have you slowly but surely begun living a life that's increasingly less dependent on God than you did a few years ago or a few months ago? If you find yourself now praying less, reading the Bible less, seeing your need for God less than you did in the past, maybe that's a sign that pride has begun to emerge in your heart. And as you've been walking proudly as opposed to walking humbly. You see, pride can be very subtle where we begin to rely on our own strength, our own human reasoning, our own talent, instead of turning to God for guidance and strength. We, be, we can begin to think like Nebuchadnezzar in subtle ways by telling ourselves, we don't have, we didn't have anything given to us. I mean, I, you know, we can find ourselves saying, well, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And we begin to take credit for what we have and what we've accomplished and our achievements instead of learning from the words of Scripture. In Deuteronomy 8, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Are you quick to acknowledge God's blessings and God's gifts in your life? Are you quick to acknowledge that everything you have, including your ability, your intelligence, your talents, your, even your energy and good health to work, it all comes from God? When's the last time you just said, God, thank you for my health. Thank you that you gave me energy to get up today and go to work. Let's choose not to walk in the way of pride, but in the way of humility. Now, when we talk about humility, we're, we're not advocating an attitude that has seemed to creep crept into certain Christian circles or writings, this, this view that we are to view ourselves as a worm or worthless. In fact, sometimes I think that's false humility where we… we you know, we kind of degrade ourselves. I like C.S. Lewis, his take on this when he wrote, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. I like that. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. You see, if we go around mentally flagellating ourselves, telling ourselves that we are worthless, a, a, a worm, and not, not a, of any worth, then we can end up spending a lot of time thinking about ourselves, which is not really humility. Humility we see demonstrated in the New Testament. I think one of the shining examples of humility is John the Baptist, who accepted his role and his understanding of what God had called him to, that he was called to introduce the one that was come after him. He was called to be one that would point the way to the one who would be the Savior of the world. And after pointing the crowd to Jesus, this is what John said, he must become greater I must become less. 
John didn't have a false humility of saying, I'm a worm, I'm worthless before God. No, he understood that he had worth, he had a role, he had value in God's sight, that God had a plan for his life. But he understood that his role was to point others to the one that came to save. You know, as we grow in our faith and our walk with Jesus, I think in many ways John the Baptist is an example to us because in our life as a Jesus follower, Jesus needs to become greater and greater, and we need to become lesser and lesser. I think that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to walk humbly, that we look to exalt Jesus in our life, Jesus in our church, Jesus in our family, and that we become lesser and lesser. Not that we're worthless. We have a role to play. God doesn't create junk. God created us. That means we are of great worth to God, and yet we are to humble ourselves and seek the glory of the one that we follow. Of course, our ultimate example of humility is Jesus. When we're reminded in Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm so grateful that Jesus came to earth not simply to humbly surrender and be obedient to the Father's will to die for us on the cross. And yes, that was His ultimate goal and purpose, and I'm so grateful He did that. And we're going to remember that in just a moment when we observe communion together. But I'm also grateful that Jesus, the Son of God, lived some 30 years on earth demonstrating and modeling what it means to walk the path of humility. I marvel that the architect and builder of all creation was willing to humble himself and be born into a poor family growing up learning how to build with stone and wood from his adopted dad. I'm amazed that the Son of God would be obedient to his earthly parents, patiently waiting for 30 years until the time was right to reveal his true identity to others. I'm challenged by the way Jesus would listen to unfair criticism and false accusations, and yet he would remain quiet, never retaliating or being defensive. As a talkative person, I'm humbled by Jesus' silence and his ability to say so much in so few words. As a person who struggled with pride throughout my life, I'm astonished by Jesus' consistent example of telling others not to tell about the miracle that He had just performed. 
and how he lived his life not seeking the praise of other human beings. I'm inspired by Jesus' unprecedented worldwide impact, although we are told that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I'm astounded that on the night before his arrest, Jesus would not only share a last meal that we still participate in, in the Lord's Supper, with his friends and first followers, but that he would show the depth of his love for them by taking the role of a household servant and washing each of their feet, even of the feet of those who would betray him, the feet of those who would abandon him, and the feet of those who would deny him. Yes, he consistently chose the humble path. And finally, I'm thankful that Jesus would eventually die on the cross so that he could live out and accomplish what the prophet Micah described as the heart of God when he wrote in Micah 7 at the end of his book, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isn't it good news and refreshing to know that our humble Savior died? He overcame sin and death so that no matter what bad choices we've made in the past, no matter what shameful sins that we've done in our life that was prompted by human pride, including our biggest regrets, that Jesus, God's Son, has died to extend mercy, compassion, to remove our sins by treading them underfoot and hurling them to the depths of the sea. Praise God that we worship a merciful God, a God that's just, a God that's mercy, a God that came to live among us as a humble servant. That's the God we worship. And as we observe communion today, let's be humbled that we are all sinners that needed a Savior, that we needed someone who would come to die for our sin so it could be trod underneath the ground, hurled to the sea, so that our deepest regret would be no more held against us and that we can be clean and pure and right with God, not based on our own merit, but the merit of the one that we follow, Jesus. Let's give thanks as we pray and observe a time of communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power, the power of your word, the relevancy of it. 
We thank you for the prophet Micah, how he preached boldly 2,700 years ago, and yet his message still speaks to our hearts. We pray, Father, that we will truly learn what it means to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Thank you that Jesus came and modeled that. Thank you that he took the humble path, that he humbled himself on our behalf. And as we take the bread and as we take the cup, humble our hearts to acknowledge him as our savior. Humble our hearts to live a life this week, truly devoted to the one who came as a humble servant. It's in his name we pray. have any response to today, to today's message, you could let us know on the communication card that Rocky talked about earlier, or you could go to our app and just give us your response. Maybe you're ready to make some kind of decision of faith. Maybe you need prayers. We'd love to know how we can come alongside and help you. We'd also love to know just, you know, as we do these different series on different topics, we want to get your feedback. You know, what, what, uh, how, how did this series speak to you? How did it help you? Did you find it beneficial? We want to know how we can be more effective at teaching and preaching God's Word. So if you go to our app, there'll be a survey. We'd love for you to do that. Give us feedback on this series of messages. With that said, we're, we're grateful. You know, God keeps showing up and blessing us as a church. This past week, we had 18 high school students go to summer camp at Butler Spring, and so we're thrilled with that. And uh, we had a, a young lady that was baptized into Christ while camp. Riley Domigan was baptized by her dad at Butler Springs, and we celebrate with Riley and that, that decision to, to surrender her life to follow Jesus. And if there's anybody else that's ready to make that decision, let us know as we celebrate with Riley. But I just want to close by just reminding you one more time. I know we've tried really hard, but if you show up next week at 930, you'll be here by yourself, okay? Because we're all going to be making plans to be at North Park. Now, the good news, if you're at 930, you still got time to get to North Park in, in Springboro. 
but we hope you'll plan to come. But also, we've got some extra cards. Pick up one of these cards. Who can you invite this week? A neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member. Let's pack out that amphitheater there at North Park and have a great time of worship. We got some fun things planned, but it's going to be a great time to worship God all together. First hour, second hour, and all of our friends as we talk about how Jesus is the answer. And he's the one that we all want to look to and point our friends to. Who can you invite next week, this Sunday at the park? Even think, maybe pray about that as we stand, if you're able, and sing a final song together.